Sales and marketing is like stealing your neighbor's cat. And on today's episode of Camcast, I talked to Bryony Thomas at Watertight Marketing to find out why. Bryony is the creator of the Watertight Marketing methodology, captured in her best-selling book of the same name, which acts as a hub to a suite of thinking tools that have been designed and refined over two decades and across over 2,000 organizations. When we spoke, we talked about the definitions of sales and marketing and why it all starts with account management. We also talked about how the language that we use can act as a precursor to how we behave, why the idea of the sales funnel simply doesn't work, profit versus purpose and how energy at brand level and an individual level can be monitored and managed for the best results. And of course, why thinking about how you would steal your neighbor's cat can focus your customer growth strategy with your most important accounts. Welcome to Camcast. I'm your host, David Ventura, a key account management consultant at camguru.com. In this podcast, we explore the strategies, systems, and skills you need for effective key account management. We talk to expert guests and business leaders, sharing the tips, tactics, and techniques for looking after your most important customers. This is Key Account Management Made Easy. So regular listeners of the show are going to be familiar with my mission to close the gap, if you like, between sales and marketing. And for salespeople and account managers, I think they need to act and behave a little bit more like marketeers. So with the intent to learn a little bit more about how sales and marketing can uh, combine together and work together effectively, I thought, actually, who better to get on Camcast today than someone who wrote the book on watertight marketing? Literally speaking, that's the name of your book. Bryony Thomas, welcome to the show today. Hi, David. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks so much again for, for joining us. On, you know, this is a really big topic for me. It's a really important topic for me, as I've said already. And yet, I think we need to make some definitions right at the start because we've all got very personal definitions and experiences of what we mean by marketing and what marketing is in our business. And of course, we'll have personal definitions of what we mean by selling and what sales is in our business. So maybe we can start there. Brian, give us your sort of definitions, your experience of the difference between sales and marketing in business. Yeah, so my definition of marketing in the book is that marketing is the process of supporting somebody through to a decision with which they remain happy. Mm. So, you know, that is the, the core of what I believe marketing is, is to support somebody through to a decision with which they remain happy. And so that's not just to sell them something and run away. Yeah. And there are a few, few things to unpack in that. So first of all, it is the whole decision. And I think lots of people uh, look at marketing as only the, the front end, you know, get us a lead, throw them over the hedge. Mm. Whereas I see marketing as supporting the whole decision through to the point at which they remain happy, not just taking their money. And, uh, and I also, interestingly enough, as somebody who's academically trained in marketing, consider sales to be a marketing technique. Mm. So marketing is the process of taking your goods and service to market. If you get out the dictionary and there are lots of ways one can do that. You can use advertising and you can use PR and you can. And you can use all of the techniques that are in the world, including personal selling, and that's sales. And so if you go to Harvard Business School, there's no professor of sales, there's a professor of marketing. Yeah. And so as an academic discipline, marketing is the academic discipline and sales is a, is a technique. In the real world, that, you know, that, isn't, that isn't the case. They're, they're seen very differently. And the reason they're seen very differently is because they're different characters that tend to be good at kind of marketing strategy and the end-to-end marketing and very different characters who are good at the personal sales uh, interface. And so because you need different characters in different seats, they tend to split as disciplines. But really, the process is one process. Yeah. And do you know what I like the most about what you've just said there? It's this idea that actually it's there to support the customer to make the right decision that they're then consistently and continually happy with. I've perhaps thrown thrown some of my own description in there, but it's it's that supporting to the customer to make the decision. I think often in sales, we think it's our job to, well, let's use a dirty word here, manipulate the customer into making the decision that we want them to make. Yeah. To- to, yes. to get them and coerce them and persuade them. 
and that's that's never going to lead to long term loyalty, long term business, is it? You know, we might you might no, win an order not. first off, but it's not going to go. Not. No, so if I finish the set, the fact that the sentence as it as it's written in the book, it's marketing is to support somebody through to a decision with which they remain happy, even if that's not to buy from you. Yeah. And I believe it is a successful decision making process if they walk away and consider that the right decision. Mm. And I think a salesperson and a marketer should be just as pleased with someone coming to the understanding that this is not right for them as they should with the decision that it is right for them. And so really our job is to get people to a great decision. And so for some people, the, the great decision, the right decision is not to work with us. Mm. Mm. And that's as much the skill of a salesperson, you know, filtering. Yeah. Uh, I talk about um, funnels and filters. Mm. And I think marketing in particular needs to be a filter particularly on the people that people spend time with. Marketing should be the filter that means that salespeople are spending most of their time with people who are more likely to decide to buy than with people who are more likely not to. So the word that keeps coming to my mind there as you're you're speaking, it's actually the word qualification, which of course is a word that in sales and account management we're really familiar with. It's part and parcel of our everyday, qualifying new opportunities. How many new opportunities have you qualified this week? Perhaps it's more about disqualification. And the faster we can disqualify stuff that's never going to become a piece of business or a customer, that's actually a better approach, do you think? Well, I think they're just equally important and should be built into somebody's uh, reward package. So I think um, filtering is as important as funneling. And I think identifying that it's not right for that customer is really important. Interestingly, I think the language disqualification and qualification is loaded. And I think there's loads of language in sales that is dehumanizing. You use dehumanizing language, you behave in dehumanizing ways. And I think if we, if we simply say, if we, you know, we work out that it's not right for them and feel really good about the people that you say, you know what, this isn't right for you. Because what tends to happen, and um, I use the phrase commercial karma in the, in the book, which is about as, as woo-woo as I get. <laughs> and think about it yourself. So let's say you're having a conversation with a salesperson. They ask you a few, a few good questions, which make you think, and you, you think it through together and you say, you know what, I don't think this is right for me at the moment. And the salesperson says, I agree with you. You know, if I were you, what I would do is go and do X, Y, and Z. And then if you think it's right, give us a shout. Mm. What happens then is that person goes into the world with goodwill. Mm. And I think as a salesperson, if you use the, if you have the mindset, which is they're not, they're, they're never going to buy, they're no use to me. They have no value. You know, that kind of disqualification language. I think mm-hmm. that it's energetically it's all wrong. Whereas if you just say, wasn't right for them, wish you well, you've got, you've got a nice referral, you've got a good way of saying no. Um, here's our recommended reading list, whatever it might be. Let me hook you up with this friend over here who I think would be great. Then that's, that's great. That's all, that's all to the good. Mm. And I think if as salespeople and as marketers, we remember that this is about helping someone through to a decision with which they remain happy. Either outcome is great. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you're right about sometimes our language dehumanizes the, the prospect, the client, the customer, and ourselves to, to, to a degree. I think there's so much rhetoric about, you know, are you going to get customers to buy this month? Are you going to hit your targets? It's, it, I think you're right. It does. It dehumanizes the whole thing. And this idea of supporting the customer to a decision that's right for them and that they're happy with, even if it means Prospect, losing them. Customer, target. How about people? How many people have mm. you um, talked to this week? How many people decided that it's still worth considering? How many people um, did you help to decide wasn't right for them? Um, I think there's loads of language. I mean, if we think about it, you know, so you run a campaign, yeah. there's military language, you target people, mm-hmm. um, capture their data. Mm. Ryan Dice uses the phrase tripwire, doesn't he? So you, you trip and trick people into your, into buying from you. And then maybe you put a structural lock in, in your mm. contract. Mm. So let's say that we're going to profile people, target them, capture them. Um, and then once we've capped out, we trip them, then we capture them and then we lock them in. <laughs> well, should we, should we just 
arrest all of ourselves now. <laughs> it's, it's beginning to sound a little bit like Netflix's new phenomenon squid game, isn't it? It is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's horrific. It's horrific. Yeah. And we can have a laugh about this, David, but the reality is that dehumanizing language is a precursor to dehumanizing behavior. Mm. And, you know, we, in macro politics, we've seen that to quite horrific effect throughout human history. In, in the kind of small world of, of sales and marketing, um, what I think happens is that people start to use manipulative techniques. I think they start to um, think about people as being disposable. It means that they become numbers focused. It means that they don't have empathetic human relationships. Um, there's all sorts of ways that it manifests. And take it through to um, some of the things we've seen happen in business. So 2008 uh, mortgage crisis was predicated on the fact that people dehumanized, aggregated debts, did not think about the people carrying this. But the moment you turn them into numbers mm. and start dehumanizing, you make awful business decisions. Same with PPI insurance. So the moment you say, oh, well, look, you know, if we run this scenario with the box ticked, we make mm. X amount more money. Mm. Whereas if you do a thing, which is if somebody doesn't notice and I can trick them into paying more insurance, like if you just run the words, like if I leave this box ticked and I am able yeah. to trick someone into giving me more money, then you wouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I think it's, you know, I get laughed at for harping on about language in business but honestly i think it translates into behavior yeah it does and it also starts at the top of the chain and filters down so a lot of what you're saying here and i, and I, and I, I too get slightly obsessed with the language choices that that we use and what they mean and and is there a better choice of language that could lead to better outcomes better behaviors and i always think to myself put myself in the shoes of an account manager and a salesperson now who's perhaps got a manager above them, a manager above them, and then a leadership team and then a CXO team above them, board of directors, whoever they are in your organization. The language is starting at the top and filtering its way down. And as much as I, I, I love this ideal that actually we need to get to a point that we are humanizing the process and supporting the, the individuals, the people that we're working with, to get to the right decisions for them, even if it means us losing the business. And then I think about saying that up the chain <laughs> and getting met with, whoa, what do you mean losing the business? What do you mean, you know, people not buying from us because it wasn't right for them? Why don't you make it right well, you for them? You weren't not losing the business because you were never going to get anyway. And the thing, the thing about people that you trick into buying from you, so hard sell only works once. And mm, um, yeah. hard sell is never the route to loyalty, mm. true loyalty. Mm -hmm. Active choices make loyal customers. And so um, you're, all you're really doing is getting people over the line so that they can ask for a refund, become difficult in order in when, it, when it comes to customer service, mm. bad mouthing to other customers. Yep. Um, selling your services to someone for whom it is not right is commercially damaging. And so, you know, you need really strong sales and marketing leadership to make these sort of, to have these discussions at board level. It's why one of the, it's why we as Watertight Marketing, when we, when we do our sales enablement programs, um, we start with the board and we have, you know, we start with the MD, the chief exec and the FD in particular. I spend a lot of time with FDs and we do a, you know, board level training on what is sales and what is marketing, which is the first question you ask me. I don't, I don't think we've, quite got there on you know that rehearsing those definitions because there's there are a few other definitions i i tend to use and you know david i love a, i love a good analogy i love a, mm -hmm. love a good metaphor yeah one of those that i tend to pull out in my board days is that i will bring bring with me I, i'm holding up on camera and um, for those of you who are watching the camera you'll see it this is this is a little character i take with me for those of you who are listening this is a toy cat little fluffy cat called bucket and I take this to all of my workshops and, and I say, um, I'm going to ask you the most important question you've ever been asked about marketing. How would you steal your neighbor's cat? Mm. So, David, how would you steal your neighbor's cat? Well, see, I know, I know your answer to this. Uh, <laughs> so I'm trying to think of other answers that could get me there. But essentially, we want to encourage the cat to spend time with us, don't we? We want to make the cat feel welcome. We want to make the cat feel at home. We're probably going to do that by treating it well and feeding it. 
Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing you see. So if you if you were to try to steal your neighbor's cat using hard sell technique, let's imagine I'm going to steal this cat using a hard sell. What I'm going to do is I'm going to profile it, right? So I see that it hangs out the tree at the bottom of the garden and I'm going to sneak up on it so that it doesn't see me coming, right? A little, little bit of um, retargeted advertising, doesn't see me coming, there I am sneaking up on it. And then I'm going to grab the cat. I'm going to scrape its data. I'm going to grab it by the, by the collar. I'm going to drag it and I'm going to get it through the back door. I'm going to lock the door, right? I've got the cat. Have I, have I, I've now won the cat, right? Do I get my bonus? The thing is, the moment you open the back door, here's the thing about a cat that's locked in. It's going to make a right mess of your carpet. And the moment you open the back door, it's gone. It's, compl- it's out of there. And so I often, so you're absolutely right that, you know, the Hansel and Jessel style biscuit trail um, is so much better. So yes, you understand how the cat behaves. You determine that it likes hanging down at the um at the tree and so you walk up to it but you walk up to it slowly and gently it can see you coming and then sneaking up required you put down some treats mm. you go come on come on come on mm. you don't go straight for a tummy tickle on a cat you don't know no. and do you know what the, the thing about cats so i i, I had we, I, we don't have a cat now but i had cats when we were growing up my experience of the cats that we had was that they definitely would never do anything they didn't want to do you know, they're no, it's very strong words. Yeah. <laughs> right. You can't make a cat do anything it doesn't want to do, which is why I don't use dogs in this mess. Dogs are lovely, right? Yeah. If our customers were like dogs, we'd be, it would be a way, man. We'd, our bonuses would be fantastic because you, <laughs> you win the dog's loyalty once. It's yours forever. I mean, you can treat yeah. it like dirt and it will, it will still be there. I mean, it's so unusual for a cat to hang out with a homeless person that there's a, there's a book about it, the, the street cat named Bob. They've made a film about this incredible cat that hangs out with a homeless person because cats rarely do that sort of thing, yeah? Whereas dogs, like you, you can treat them like rubbish and they'll stay there. A cat <laughs> makes choices, which is why I say sales and marketing is like stealing your neighbor's cat. Yeah. So in this analogy, marketing does the research, so it works out where the tree is at the bottom of the garden, determines whether the cat likes tuna or catnip mm. or some other treat puts together a little trail of toys and treats and biscuits and lays it out where it knows the cat might hang out. So the job of marketing is to lay the path with some suitable tools. The job of sales is then to go stand one step ahead and invite them forward. Stand one step ahead and invite them forward. They look into the, the little basket of toys, pick out a toy, go, come on, doesn't work. Go, marketing, got any other Toys, this one's not working. Yeah. Mm, so, you know, mm. the job of marketing is to lay the path and to provide the tools that means that the salesperson can invite the customer forward. Yeah. Not force them, not manipulate them. And, and, and if they, any salespeople, account managers, sales leaders were thinking to themselves right now, what, 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 what do I need to convince me that working better with marketing is a good thing? It's that. It's, they are going to provide you with the tools that make your life easier and mean that that sort of, you know, getting the cat to come closer to you. And, and, and I love this idea. Actually, you know, let's treat our customers more like cats. Um, yes. And stop treating them like dogs. There we go. It's as simple as yes. that. Don't treat you get your customers like dogs. Treat them like cats. That's yes, <laughs> that's because cats have choices, yeah. and your customers have choices more now than they have ever had. And so your treats need to be great. And what do we mean by treats? We mean interesting, compelling content. Yeah. We mean interactive demos. We mean tools that invite them to give their data, present it back to them in interesting ways. Mm. We mean really compelling tools. And a, a, you know, a salesperson who's reaching for a blank sheet of paper whilst they are nurturing a potential customer relationship or nurturing a client relationship, if you're reaching for a blank sheet of paper, then you have been horrifically let down by your marketing team. A salesperson should never reach for a blank sheet of paper. They should have a toolkit of things. And they, they determine the character of the cat they're dealing with and they pick out the one that's appropriate. And so the cat that likes catnip has catnip and the cat that likes tuna has tuna. And the moody cat that doesn't like anything at all has, uh, you know, a little 
maybe a cardboard box, whatever it is, you know, like different cats have different characters. And so you, mm. as a salesperson, your marketing team should have helped you to work out these characters and provided you with a toolkit so that you have things to draw on. Mm. I love that. Camcast, key account management made easy. I want to pick up on another word that you've used a couple of times so far today. Um, and uh, with the, I suppose, the the intent and the pursuit of exploring the language, we talk about funnels and funneling. And that's a, a, a popular word in sales. You know, what's your sales funnel looking like? You know, how are you getting Pipe on? Line. Pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. And it all suggests something that actually isn't the reality, doesn't it? It suggests that stuff goes into said funnel or said pipeline and as long as it moves along, it'll come out the other end and it'll become a deal. Uh, that That's not the case, is it? So how would you how would you describe funnel? Absolutely not. So yeah, if you do um, a search on Google for sales funnel, for image results, you'll get 33.6 million pictures of a sales funnel, um, which would suggest that these things exist. <laughs> yeah. uh, Adobe have had a, a go recently. They, they say it's not a funnel, it's a water slide. But again, that misses it because a slide and a funnel, everything that goes in at the top comes out at the bottom. Mm. So, like the funnels that I have in my kitchen, if I'm if I'm pouring something into the funnel, everything goes into the cup at the bottom. Yeah. And so a funnel takes what there is and directs it to a place with losing nothing in the journey. This is the opposite of what a sales funnel diagram is showing you. And here's the irony: so it is shaped like a funnel. But the reason it's shaped like a funnel is because there are reduced numbers of people at each stage in the process. It is not funneling anything. If you had to choose a kitchen utensil, I'd suggest a sieve might be a better example. Yeah, because mm. what's happening here is you are losing, 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 so that there are fewer and fewer people, which is why it is shaped like a funnel. The problem is that we use the language funnel because it looks like one when you draw it. Yeah. But it does not behave like a funnel. It does the opposite of a funnel. And so what we'll do is we say, you know, really, guys, what you've got is a sales sieve. <laughs> Who wants one of those? And, and, and just get you to replace it with a better image. So again, those of you who are watching the video will see that I've got a bucket behind me. Mm. And my cat's name was Bucket. And yeah. there's a bucket on the front of my book. And you go, well, what's all that about then, Bryony? I'm either the crazy cat lady or I'm a bucket woman, one or the other. <laughs> And um, and so the reason the reason I I travel the world with, with my red bucket is that I get people to mentally cross out the image of a funnel every time they see one and replace it with a different image, and the image is a bucket at the bottom, then funnels and filters, and above that taps. Now a bucket usually relates to account management or service in an organisation. That's normally where that the, the the responsibilities for that line. So mm-hmm. speaking up your street. Then we have the funnels and filters, and funnels and filters um, most usually align with what's con- with what's seen as the sales team, particularly new business sales, so people are buying for the first time. And then at the top you have taps, which is what most people think of as marketing, which is the um, generating lead. Now the reason the buckets, funnels, and filters, and taps as an image is significantly better than a funnel is because it shows you that most people approach this whole thing the wrong way up. You've got a hole in your bucket and taps cost money. Should you run them? No. No, <laughs> exactly. No. And so account management, which I know is, is what your listeners are, are really into, is mm. where marketing starts. Mm. Account management is the bucket. And in my research, so first edition of Waterstep Marketing came out in 2013. I've done research across 200 businesses and identified three areas, three projects that somebody with the job title marketing can, can undertake to mean that people who are servicing existing clients have the right tools for the job. Yeah. So we, we have these things called touchpoint leaks across that bucket funnels and, and filters and taps. So you imagine these three stages. At the bucket, there are three core marketing projects, leaks one, two, and three. Yep. We've got some customers, onboarding, and emotional connection. And so there are projects here that make sure you've got a watertight bucket. So let's say you've got a watertight bucket. Should I run some taps, David? Yeah, why not? Let's, let's, yeah, let's start not? switching them on. Yeah. Should we yeah. do that? Should yeah. that? Okay. So let's say I'm a, a small to medium-sized business and I've got a small to medium-sized bucket. 
Mm-hmm. And my tats belong to other people. Yeah, so they are Facebook or whatever. So it, that means that the tap owners get to determine where the taps are, mm. which means you've got a tap over there, you've got a tap over there, you've got a tap behind you, you've got a tap ahead of you, and you've got a little bucket. Mm. Right, turn mm. on, shall we? I'm choosing over there. Run! No, no, there's one over there. Run! <laughs> like, this is what happens when, mm. when you turn taps on and you, you've got your water type bucket, but because the taps are all over the thinking place, what happens as a salesperson or an account manager is you are running like Billio to go, whoa, whoa, I'm shooting, whoa, over there, over there. Yeah. Mm, mm. I, I'm and sensing that, a very wet floor here and we're going to be slipping yeah, quite exactly. a lot. That's the problem, right? Can slip over. Yeah. yeah. And so this is all good fun or not if it's your job. Yeah. So this is often what happens. So people have a pretty good bucket. You know, they've got good products and services. They, they do a good job, pretty good, usually. And then they go putting taps on. They're all running around like mad, going whoop, 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 which is why we say again, do your bucket. Then you go up to funnels and filters. So funnels and filters allow you to channel the water from the taps to your bucket, not running around like mad. Mm-hmm. Remembering that you need to filter a few people out because not everybody wants to work with you and you don't want to work with everyone. Some customers aren't worth having. Some cats are bloody horrible. Um, <laughs> And so you have these funnels and filters in place, and only then is it worth um, turning on taps, which is what most people call marketing. Mm. And, you know, there are six touchpoint leaks before you get to anything in taps. Now, I'm possibly the only marketing consultant that travels the country telling people to do less marketing. I, I like that. Do less, but with the right outcomes. It's it, Absolutely. It, it's focusing your yeah. time and your energy in all the right places. And I think as account managers, we struggle with that quite a lot. And you've already talked a lot today about the idea of the decision needs to be right for the customer and the customer needs to be right for us. And, yes. I, and I genuinely think that's that's really hard for most account managers to feel empowered to make those decisions. To, to yeah. be able to say, it's not right. It's not right for you. It's not right for me. And I'm going to do the right thing here. Yes. And that's because most organizations have really unbalanced um, filtering criteria. So most qualification criteria is financially driven. So when I go into most organizations, so we have, we call them the flow foundations uh, or around enabling sales flow. We have four flow foundations. Flow foundation one is called the right work, which is what we've been talking about. They're mm. right for us, we're right for them. And so we ask people, how do they determine what, what their ideal customer um, is, the, the focus customer group that they're concentrating on? And most organizations can, uh, will either pull out a profit-based list or a purpose-based list. So you'll have one set of customers that go, these are our qualification criteria, and it's all, they must be over X amount of turnover, they must have this many employees so that we can make this amount of profit on and the margin needs to be it. So they've got really clear profit-based criteria but nothing about whether it feels right. Mm, mm. And so when you've got only profit-driven criteria, when something doesn't feel right, it's very hard to say no and you're not empowered to do so. Alternatively, we go into businesses that are very values-driven and it's all about whether it feels right. Mm. They've got a list of, you know, they need to be a B Corp and they need to have shared values and they need to be, you know, won't work with anybody who's um, ever trodden on a spider or whatever it might be. So they have really clear values-driven criteria, but then they end up doing loads of work for people they love but make no money. Mm. So often just one or the other. And the key thing that we do is it's a new framework in the second edition of Warstack Marketing that came out um, in 2020 called the Profit Purpose Matrix. And we get people to, to overlay those two things and put, put balanced criteria in for, for whether or not this will be a profitable relationship and whether or not this will be a purposeful relationship. And what I mean by purposeful um, is, does it make you smile? That's my shorthand. Right. Does it yeah. energize? So the, the profit is, does it, does it fill your bank balance? And purpose is, does it fill the energetic bank balance? And so for a healthy business, you need money and energy. Those are your two key resources. And so the clients and customers that you bring into your world as a business need to both pay you and energize you. And when you overlay these items, and I've got a, a grid matrix that, that helps people with this, 
you can filter in a really powerful way. Yeah. And, and for anyone listening to this thing, what does that matrix look like? I'm sure we can pop a copy of that on the show notes uh, so people yeah. can take a look on the website at camguru.com forward slash podcast. Take a look at that. Give us a couple of ideas then on what you could do if you land in one of these four boxes, four squares. Yeah, they're, they're uh, four boxes. Yeah. yeah. You know someone studied an MBA, don't you, when they pull out a four box matrix? <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a fan of the four box matrix, Brian. You know this. <laughs> the, the other lovely thing about a four box matrix for any of you is when you're running a workshop, they're really easy to draw. Yeah. Um, yep, so down on the left hand side, you are drawing a line and it says purpose on it. And you've got low at the bottom and you've got high at the top. Along the bottom, you're drawing another line. On the left hand side, it's low. And on the right hand side, it's high. And that's profit. So you now have four boxes. You have something that is low on profit, low on purpose which means that it's going to make you no money and it makes you go, oh. <laughs> so it makes you no money and it makes you go, oh, do I have to? You mm. don't do it. That's a no. So mm. that is a referral strategy. So you find out, you find the people for whom they're a yes and you refer them. Yeah. yeah. Let's say you've got someone who's high on profit but still makes you go, oh, do I have to? Mm. Yeah. So that is an interesting one. So I call that a no maybe. So any business has to maintain the possibility that they will do work that pays the mortgage, even if it's not that much fun. That's, that's, a, tr that's a truth. So that's a no maybe. And what I would uh, do there is a systemized strategy right. where you create a proposition that allows you to engage with those customers without being energetically involved. So a self-serve online delivery uh, platform, a really systemized rollout, Something that allows you to um, interact without too much energetic involvement. So it's mainly autopilot. That's a systemized strategy, but those that are profitable, but don't, aren't that much fun. Then you've got something that your heart says yes, and your finance director says no way. Mm -hmm. So that's a maybe no. It's a maybe no, which kind of means yes, right? Mm -hmm. um, but maybe no. I want to do it. I really want to do it. So if it's something you really want to do, but it's not going to make any money, what, what I would call that is a showcase strategy. So a showcase strategy should be proactive. And you should be thinking, in what other ways could I derive some commercial benefit? Can we um, test a new product? Can we train a new member of our team? Can we roll out some new content? Can we just have fun? Yeah, can we use it as a team, team building exercise? That's fine. But when you know what it is, so you can do a showcase strategy. And I, I do a 10% show ratio proactively at the beginning of the year, put aside X amount of time for, for example, speaking at charity events. Sure. That would be sure. an example. Yeah. And then you've got those that are, uh, you know, you go, yay, let me add it. I want to do it. And it's profitable. Yeah. That's your focus strategy. That's what you talk loudly about. That's what you get yourself known for. And so these you know these four areas are really important and there is a strategy for each and they're really simple strategies as well yeah. they're really simple you know like you say the reason we love a four box uh, grid is that we can draw it on a flip chart we can explain it really quickly and it's really simple to practice and 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 follow i'm i'm, I'm listening to you explain this though and thinking to myself again and i've said this already well um if i'm a sales leader or i'm a senior leader in business i'm thinking yep i'm in in part, I'm in control of deciding what we pursue from a purpose point of view as an organization, whether they align with the company values. I'm close enough to the P&L that I can see what's profitable and what's not. And then I jump down a few rungs on the ladder a little bit and I put myself in the account manager's shoes and I think to myself, well, okay, well, I'm being told what's profitable and what's not. Maybe I've got that information. I know what values we have printed on our boardroom wall. I'm not convinced that we live them in the business. I keep being told that we are this and we're that, and you know we're passionate and we're you know authentic. It, you're right, and yet it's one of those values, and I'm I'm quoting because it, it's one that people will call a company value. You know the kind that you know yeah. you go into the boardroom. I do, but they're, but they're not values; they're behaviours. You're absolutely right. So you know the, the the connection, and this comes back to language again. The connection for a lot of account managers when they think about values will be those behaviours that are printed on the wall that are pretending to be values and aren't really, and yeah. they're they're sort of not really lived in the business anyway. Um, so we we kind of we have this sort of disconnect between company purpose and our own personal purpose, and actually sometimes yeah. we might be in alignment with the company's purpose and the company's values, and yet actually for us personally. 
it's not really lighting us up. So energetically, yeah. it's not lighting us up. How do we manage that at account manager level, do you think? Yeah, okay. So I'm going to go back just a little bit to what is sales, what is marketing. So as a marketing director, um, this is key to that role. Mm. And so a marketing director should be challenging whether behaviors are values. They should be going back to the board and having uh, having those discussions, making sure that they're appropriately communicated, that they're brought to life with examples, that they're case study, all of those good things. So the first audience for marketing is an internal audience. And you need to sell the vision, the values of the organization. Yeah. Going back to your more practical question, if I were a sales manager and I had a team of account managers within me, what, uh, what you know, within my within my area of responsibility, mm-hmm. what I would do is run a session with this PP matrix and actually get the team to to put on their you know what lights their soul. Mm. So I've I've done this with uh, with our network of practitioners. And I know the sorts of clients that are going to work for them and the sorts of clients that are going to work for them. And, and we know uh, individuals, PP matrices, matrices. And, and that's profit as well. So it takes me an inordinate amount of time to write reports because I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a recovering perfectionist. And so for me, report writing is not a profitable activity. Whereas there is a, another chap in our network, a chap called uh, Josh Morse, who's a report writer extraordinaire. And so for him, he can do a, a really valuable report at pace. Um, and so it's a really profitable activity for him. Yeah. Mm, um, mm. And then on the energy, I know so you know, I know that Cheryl Crichton in our network um has a a lot of her clients are quite rugged blokes that like rugby and they probably have climbed a mountain. You know, I know that about Cheryl. I know that there's the robustness and, and they work well together. Whereas Rachel, it's very reflective and very nurturing. And so actually, but amongst our team, I know yeah. Yeah. Who, who, and so you can do this as an exercise, um, as a team, so mm. that you can work out what floats people's boats and, and put it in the right place. And, and so as, for a sales leader to get to know their team and manage his or her resources energetically, and, and I love this idea of it being managing things energetically and p- yeah. paying attention and being aware of the energy levels. The last 18 months for most of us across the world have tested our energy levels and questioned where we have energy. Brining, I know for you, the last 18 months hasn't just been about COVID, has it? You've had a very different and personal experience in the last 18 months. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. And if there were a prize for bad years, I think I should apply. <laughs> so December 2019, 19th of December 2019, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And for those of you who who may not know, pancreatic cancer is is one of the the deadliest. And so, with my diagnosis, which was a, a stage two B, most people die within twelve weeks. Mm. Um, half of people with my diagnosis die within twelve weeks. Seven percent make it to five years, and yeah, only one in ten of us get get even a chance or survival with a with a massive operation. So I've had what's called a Whipple procedure. For anyone who wants to go and look it up, there's some great videos of stomachs being chopped up. So I've had huge surgery. I've had five months of chemo. I've, I've lost sensation in my feet and my hands. I have, you know, long-term disability and fatigue, you know, but, I, but I'm back and I'm probably more energized about my work than I have been for a long time. Mm. And, and it's probably given you a whole new layer of focus. And so when we talk about this, energetic level that we need to be aware of these things are are sent to test us sent to try us and do focus us in ways that we didn't know were possible um i i imagine that the future for watertight marketing looks perhaps not different than you ever thought it would but certainly is energizing itself in a new way is that is that right yeah and so it doesn't look different it looks exactly the same uh, I'm just absolutely determined to do it. The, uh, and interestingly, so on, on the day that I got my diagnosis, I think it took me about 20 minutes. And my book, my second edition of the book was in, in production. I think the medics left the room. I think it took me about 20 minutes to turn to my husband and say, that book is being published, you know, like mm. come what way, that mm. book will be published, which it was. But we all have, my example is extreme. 
But we all have times when we don't want to do it. You know, we all have times where we're low, where we've got something else going on in our lives. And being able to tap into what energizes you is really important. And I think as a sales manager, mm-hmm. having a look at the PP matrix and understanding um, what would be that. So I always talk about um, clients as your diet and the showcase is like a superfood. So the, the show that the, the, the focus client is your everyday healthy, healthy, um, healthy meal. Your systemizer is a bag of chips and the showcase is a, is a bit of superfood. It's like really, really nutritious and energizing. Mm-hmm. And so you need to know what that is for your team. And let's say you're looking at your team that had an experience like mine or, you know, they, they're grieving or they, um, miscarried. They, you know, the things that happen in mm-hmm. people's lives. And you know this as a manager. If you know what for them is really energizing, you can reward them with that. You can use that as an incentive. You can use that as a way of um, helping p- people return into work. And so actually, I would say one of the things that it has focused me on is really saying no. You know, mm-hmm. I've probably turned more things down than ever before. You and I had a conversation before we hit record ab- about, you know, saying no to things, regardless of how much money people might offer. Yeah. And, and I think as a sales manager, it's really important and it's a great lever. You know, I think sales managers think the only lever they have are bonuses and incentives, but actually saying to someone, why don't you spend 10% of your time using the company's resources and what we do well on a charity of your choosing? Mm. And we will showcase that and we will case study that and it will show us in a good light and, and you get to be you know, energized by that. So there are some really good levers here. Yeah. And I, th- I think sales managers and sales leaders probably don't, if they're being brutally honest with themselves, don't spend enough time to understand somebody's levers, some, what, what really motivates them from a purpose point of view, and then thinking, yeah. well, how can we build that into our account management and our sales strategy and our customer relationships? Because yeah. at the heart of all of this, and we talked about humanizing the process and humanizing the interactions and humanizing the choice of language that we use, and we do that because actually it's all about humans. There are yeah. human beings in the sales and account management teams dealing with and working with human beings within our customer organizations. And it is a human to human thing. It's, there's no B to B or B to C. It's human to human, right? It is. And so that, to give you a really practical example here, there's, there's a client we're working with at the moment, uh, a, a three-year um, sales enablement program. And actually, the values, the purpose side of things was, was, has been identified as a key area. And so we're working with the chief exec. Um, they're a cleaning and hygiene business um, around what's important to them. And, and it's been a campaigning issue of his for many years to make sure that their 1,500 strong workforce of cleaning operatives are paid not just minimum wage, but real living wage. And I said, well, why is that? And he talked about human dignity. He talked about and living and living wage means really living, like you have to afford to go on holiday and, and you know, these sorts of things. So you know, cleaners like everybody else deserve to have a life. And uh, and and he's really passionate about it, but that's not in any of their criteria. And so we were looking at this. And then we we're looking at the the client, the types of organizations that they work with, and I was doing, um, would you would you work with these people? Would you work with these people? Like doing a yes, no, maybe, like a um uh, what's that dating app? Swipe left, swipe right. Uh, yeah, would you work yeah. with these? Would you work with these? Would yeah. you work? And to get to the sorts of clients that they would work with. And one of the ones that came up was hospices. So we talked about hospices and they said, well, we couldn't make that profitable, but gosh, we'd love to do that. And so what that's, um, what that's now turned into, they've gone to their service team and they've, uh, and they've looked at building into the proposition a pay it forward so that they then go to their clients and say, for every year's uh, cleaning contract that you have with us, would you pay for one day to go into the pot where our cleaners can go and clean in the local hospital? And this is, this is sorts of things that we need to do when the marketing sales actions, we're integrating them into proposition and using them as levers to motivate our team as well as our client. So I think the overriding thing for me here, Bryony, is actually as sales leaders, if we can understand not just the company purpose, but the individual purpose for each of our people, we stand a better chance of, of 
of of really having a motivated team who genuinely yeah. want to do good things with good people and for good people uh, and get yeah. some really good results. And, and equipping them with the tools to do the job. And so I often uh, I often go into businesses that are effectively sales run. They barely, barely have a marketing capability. And yeah. so they're doing it all with people power, with the skills of their sales team. And if you imagine that's like trying to get someone a bike, you know, got rudimentary tools, it's all that on pedal power, um, and they're working really hard. What, what I think marketing brings picture is it swaps the bike for a car. Uh, with a dashboard, mm-hmm. with with, and so what you're doing is you're equipping those very skilled people with the tools to do their job faster, better, and more efficiently. And so often we will go into an organisation that has quite a sophisticated and mature sales function, but doesn't have the marketing capability and the marketing tools to underpin that to enable those very skilled people to do their best work. And that's what we do. Let's think about first steps, next steps uh, for people who are listening to this thinking, I, I can really relate to what they're talking about. I get that. I feel that we've got a gap in our business. Sales and marketing are poles apart. You know, I need to do some redefinition work. I need to bring them together. What, what are the first steps? What are the next steps that you would recommend? What, where should they start? Well, is it is it is it really me to say go read the book? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> go for um, it. So you you can get a free copy, a free digital copy. So if you go to waterstartmarketing.com forward slash free book, you can grab a digital um copy of the second edition of Watertight Marketing. Mm-hmm. And my advice is to get as many people as possible to read it cover to cover like a novel. So don't get them to get a notebook out or do a work, just read it like a novel. Let it wash over them a bit. And what that gives you is like the, the picture on the front of the jigsaw box as to how sales, marketing and service all link up together so that you can support somebody end to end through a decision with which they remain happy. Mm. And so, um, you know, grab it, read it, ha- have it with my love. I love that. And, and no, there's never a bad time to give a plug, uh, to, especially for something that's free anyway, and anyone can get a handle on it. And, and I think you're absolutely right. There are some awesome tips in there. There's an, a heck of a lot of clarity that comes from reading your work, uh, Bryony. So I, I thank you for bringing that to our audience and giving them an opportunity to figure out for themselves how they're going to uh, be the cat in their world and decide to stay in the uh, in the garden of happiness where sales and marketing live harmoniously together maybe that's that's the picture i'm trying to well, create you know cute mind. cat for it every now and again but generally <laughs> generally we get it worked out and, I, and this is the thing i think that in many ways watertight marketing as a set of thinking tools allows people who are professionals in service in sales and in marketing to work out where their strengths lie how they support one another And the way that it does that in many ways is just by asking a whole sequence of really good questions. And what that tends to do is take that dysfunction and kind of tension out of it. So it's a bit like, it's a bit like a slightly dysfunctional family having a bit of good counseling. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's a really good set of questions that are asked in a very particular sequence. Uh, I've often said, what's time after isn't, isn't a book of answers so much as a book of great questions to get you talking together, talking and thinking and making decisions together. Yeah. It's time for the Camcast Killer Question. As you know, here on the show, we have uh, a regular segment uh, that we call the Killer Question. Um, if you were to pick one question from your book that is perhaps either your favourite question or your most powerful question, what would your question for our listeners be? It's not in the book, but it is, how would you steal your neighbour's cat? <laughs> we we circle back around to that because it was such a great question and one to really get you thinking and considering your customers as as human beings who make their own choices uh, in the form of a cat. Um, so thank Definitely. you for that. Definitely. I, I, am, I am a mixed metaphor person. Um, I try and get it as many as possible. Metaphors are powerful and uh, it changes the conversation. And I do use lots and I switch between them. Um, and so if you've ever, if any of you ever you know, encounter any more of my work, I will bring cats, tables, bikes, cars, fitness. I mean, literally any metaphor I can find that helps people to picture this. Because the thing is, David, that you, I, the number of other guests that you've had, 
all we're each doing is bringing a different lens on the truths of how humans make decisions. Mm. And so you don't have the answer and I don't have the answer. What we have is a perspective. And I think that the stories, the metaphors, the frameworks that I pull together are theories of lenses. Mine might work for you. Or alternatively, there might be another person who's got a different perspective who will make the penny drop. Yeah. None of us have the truth. We have a set of lenses mm. and, and um, ways of organizing thoughts so that you can look at them and, and make a decision. Yeah. And in that vein, then I act here as the optician who's able to provide you with the right lens that works for you. So uh, so thank you for being one of our lenses today. Uh, thank you for being the crazy cat lady, the bucket lady, whatever we want to call you. <laughs> thank you for sharing some watertight wisdom with us uh, today on Camcast. Bryony Thomas, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. What have you taken from today's conversation? What questions do you find yourself reflecting on the most? Are you humanizing your customers in your process and indeed your language? Or are you running the risk of dehumanizing behavior becoming a downstream result of the language choices that you're making in the business? Do you have a sales funnel, a set of filters, a sieve, or a bucket and taps carefully managed and intentionally crafted to maximize output that is win-win and focuses your attention on the right things at the right time. And how energetic are you and your team across the different products, the services, and the customer profiles? What can you do to align profit and purpose together? If the role of marketing is to lay the path and provide the tools for attracting customers, and salespeople are there to invite them forward to make a decision with which they remain happy, then how harmoniously and collaboratively are your sales and marketing functions working together? You may feel like this is a drum that I keep banging, and it is. If account management is where marketing starts and marketing can support account management, then we as business leaders have to close that gap and bring the talents of our go-to-market resources together to work on the common goal. Don't forget to check out all the show notes at camguru.com forward slash podcast for a link to Bryony's book and more information on the thinking tools that we discussed. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Do let us know what you thought and tell us how you are going to go about stealing your neighbor's cat. Metaphorically speaking, of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of Camcast, a podcast brought to you by camguru.com one of the UK's leading key account management consulting and training organizations. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate you sharing it with your connections, giving us a review on your chosen podcast app and letting us know what else you'd like to hear in an upcoming episode. You can find the show notes for this episode on the website at camguru.com forward slash podcast.